This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com or underdogfantasy in the app store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Say it ain't Shohei. We have some horrible news to break about the best player in baseball and a lot more news to cover in this packed episode of the podcast. But before we get into all of the sad news, John, how's everything going with you? Anything new on the horizon? Uh, Well, if you are someone from the Midwest, you'll know that it is full-on state fair season. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, for the friends in Iowa, they I think they just had their state fair or they're going through it right now. And Minnesota, where our state fair just started today, so that's where I was before this podcast episode. And it's always a good time just to kind of say goodbye to summer for... You know, the last time uh, with a fun little, you know, regional carnival, I guess. But I guess being an adult, summer doesn't truly end uh, at Labor Day. So there is that. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely true. If you are an adult, summer doesn't come to a definitive end. I guess weather-wise, it kind of does. But we always have some time off. It's not like we're going to school or anything, which is great. Thank God for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't want to deal with that anymore. But instead, we deal with baseball and fantasy baseball. And something we have to deal with is a horrible injury to the unicorn of the sport. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And please, for our sake, leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now, moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast. And we start with the biggest news. Shohei Otani of the Angels has a torn UCL in his right elbow and won't pitch again in 2023. No decision has been made yet on whether Otani will require the second Tommy John surgery of his career or if a different type of procedure will be used to repair his UCL. But either way, he'll be shut down as a pitcher for the remainder of the season. He apparently plans on hitting despite sustaining this injury, which I don't know how smart that is for Otani. 
I'm not a doctor and I don't know anything about the medical field or how injuries work. I mean, I have not a clue, but I can't imagine swinging a bat with a torn UCL can go well. I don't think even if it's minor, that it's a good idea for him to do that. Now, the last time we saw someone play through a torn UCL, it was actually Bryce Harper in the 2022 season where he played through a torn UCL in his right elbow for the majority of that season. And he did pretty well. Not going to lie, 99 games, he had a 286 average, 18 homers, 11 steals, 65 RBIs. So he was able to play. Now, that's not the normal Harper stats we expect. Granted, it was just 99 games, but he did play through this sort of injury. But I have to think, going into Otani's free agency, that he's got to get shut down at some point. I'm not sure. My head is spinning from all of this. I have so many thoughts. John, what do you have to say about all of this Otani news? Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I was I was actually so yesterday before the news broke, I was talking with a friend about Otani, and, and this friend doesn't really you know watch that much baseball or knows kind of what's going on in the in the baseball sphere, right? And so we were just talking about Otani, and like you know, it, who is Otani in terms of you know baseball history and things like that? And I remember saying like. If he somehow gets to 500 homers, and during that entire time he's still pitching at the elite level that he is, like Otani will go down as the greatest baseball player of all time, like Easily. hands down. Easily, um, if, if he reaches that mark. If he doesn't reach, if he doesn't pitch, and he still, let's say, gets to 500 homers, he's like one of the better baseball players of all time. But he's no longer the de facto like you know, best baseball player to ever have played the game sort of person, right? Right. And then becomes a little bit different question because now he's just a, a pure hitter. Um, and yeah, it <laughs> literally like hours later after we had that conversation, the news broke that he tore his UCL. And I, like many fans of baseball, was just super disappointed that this had to happen to such a likable guy. And um I mean, he'd been dealing with some arm fatigue this season. You know, the the Angels actually skipped his previous start. Um, you know, he hasn't gone as deep in the games. Um, he's had some shorter outings this season. Um, and, yeah, it was just it, – it just – you know, sometimes it just feels like the shoe has to drop, right? Like, he was doing so well, and it's just it, – it just seemed like, you know, the baseball – baseball fate where it's like, well, now he gets an injury. And so I, I'm curious what he's going to do. I, for the sake of my fantasy teams, I would love it if he continued to hit. Um, but you know that that's all. That's obviously very selfish of me. Um, the other, the, the only other thing I can really think of is it's already torn. You know, like if he gets Tommy John now, as opposed to in like a month and a half, if they decide to go Tommy John, like that's not really going to change his injury prospects so to speak you know right like he'll either he'll still be delayed next season um into coming back if if he elects for full-on tommy john or if he elects for kind of the shorter version of tommy john that that a bunch of players have been opting for this uh in in recent years um i still think he's going to be worth a ton of money in terms of his future contract and I, I think the real question is, will he continue to pitch? And I, I think there's a lot of questions on what that's going to look like for any team that signs Otani. Like, are they willing to let him pitch 
or are they just saying no you you are just going to be our dh for the next eight years or something like that yeah there's so many different thoughts i have on all of this and like i said i'm not a doctor and yeah like you mentioned it's already torn so can't you just finish the year out batting but to my worry is that like I don't know how that all works. I've never torn my UCL, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Knock on IKEA desk that I have right here. I don't know how it works, but I can only imagine that with a tear in your UCL, swinging, what if you mm -hmm. overcompensate and you tear your bicep now or sure. you tear your shoulder? I don't know. I'm just making up things, obviously. But what mm -hmm. if that leads to another injury? And now you're out for a while with Tommy John anyway, but you might have ramifications for batting for the future, or you might mess something up seriously that impacts your swing. I really don't know. But this is just such sad news because, like you mentioned, does he ever pitch again? This is his mm -hmm. second Tommy John. He's 29 years old. I don't know if he really pitches again. I think he's going to fight to pitch again. I think he's mm -hmm. going to want to pitch again. Yeah, But how many years do you have of him being a great pitcher post this Tommy John? So we're talking about 2025 he gets back on the mound mm -hmm. and he's 31 at that point. He's got, what, four or five years maybe as long as his arm holds up? I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of rough. I mean, he's done so much already and in his career. He already has what, 171 homers, 83 stolen bases, a career 274 batting average. Like, he's already cementing himself, like you said, as one of the greatest baseball players of all time, plus his pitching stats. So hopefully he can get back on the mound and do all that. Do you think this really impacts his free agency? Like, do you think he's going to get significantly less money now? Do you think there's a lot of teams that are hesitant to sign him because I think now we're going to see him sign with a team, but the contract's going to be mainly as a batter, but with mm -hmm. incentives in that contract for more money if he pitches or based on the starts that he gives you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a real good question. Um, I, I personally think Shohei Otani is still probably... <sighs> I, I mean, I, I would hesitate to give him a $500 million contract. Now, yeah. But, but the fact that he's Shohei, right? Like, if you just want to look at all the, you know, the financial nitty-gritty of this, like, he immediately elevates a team's profile when you sign him. Right. Um, You know, ticket sales are going to be through the roof. Um, Your team international gonna... fans goes crazy as well, so. Completely. Yeah, like, your, your team will generate more revenue by signing Shohei even as just a batter, right? Right. So I still think that he ends up with a contract that you make a good point. Like he could end up with a contract that's the where the base value is similar to Aaron Judge. Right. But there's let's just say two hundred million extra money that he could get if he pitches. Right. right. My thing with the pitching is I I really am curious what they're gonna do with that. Because if I was if I was a GM, right, or a or a manager of a team probably what i would do and and this seems super orthodox but i you know you're dealing with a guy who is an elite pitcher and a hitter you you set up a six man rotation and you skip every second start for shohei right you give him instead of 6 days of rest you give you give him 10 days of rest right or maybe maybe you have him kind of weirdly placed in the rotation where 
instead of pitching every six days, he pitches every you know eight or nine days or something like that. Like, is that super complicated to deal with? Maybe a little bit, but this guy still has one of the best arms in the game. It just gives out on him. Yeah. Um, which is super unfortunate, but it, it also makes sense for a guy who is an elite batter and you know has a you know has pitches that can reach the upper nineties, right? Like he's he is kind of taxing that arm at a much higher rate than most other pitchers would. And because of that, it's uh, it's really interesting to see how, how he'll be handled in a pitching rotation in the future. So I can see him getting a 300 to $350 million contract with like 150 to $200 million in incentives if the pitching side works out. And that's the kind of deal I think he'll take rather than I think he was going to get a $500 million plus contract mm-hmm. if he wasn't hurt. Like easily I think that was super in the cards so it really is unfortunate to see all of this take place two questions mm-hmm. one do you think right now no matter what happens really Otani already has the MVP cemented this season oh I guess the irony is I can't think who else is challenging him in the AL I agree with that completely <laughs> because yeah who is I mean Judge has missed a billion games. Judge is not going to get it for sure. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny because we have the MVP conversations literally every single week, but it's about the it's about the national. Yeah, league. Acuna, Corbin Carroll, Matt Olson, all NL players. You've got a bunch Brady of other Freeman's names out there. An NL player. Yep. Mookie's Mookie an NL player. Yep. Tatis is an NL player. Yeah. All of these guys are NL players. So for the AL, who's really challenging Otani? Yeah, actually, who's in the AL? <laughs> like Garrett Cole? Does does he possibly no. win MVP? I don't even know. Well, I mean, this might be a little blasphemy and Homer-ish of me, but I don't even know if Garrett Cole wins the Cy Young. That's um, very fair. <laughs> like, like, does Adolis Garcia, does he win MVP? Oh, man. I would love for Adolis to win, but the, his his numbers just aren't that good. They're not as good as Shohei's. <laughs> yeah. I, Plus, like, Shohei's a pitcher. Legitimately, it might be like Luis Robert. But once again, Otani's numbers right now, if the season were to end today, or if Otani didn't take another at-bat, Otani has 44 homers. Adelise has 31. Robert has like 30-something. And Robert's not going to catch up to Shohei in terms of runs and RBI as well. No, and he's got 17 steals as well, plus the pitching stats that he's already established. I think it's already his MVP. That's honestly, that's insane, but it's, I think it's true. Right? I don't know who else is out there that could really contest it, man. He's got, yeah, if you look at the AL, Shotani has a 181 WRC plus. The next closest American leaguer is Yandy Diaz, who has almost 100 less plate appearances at 160 WRC plus. Yeah, and his counting stats are not good at all. Yeah. Like, his RBI and runs are good, but his homers are low. I don't think he has any steals. Shohei also has 17 steals? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it's already cemented. Yeah, like, Robert is maybe the closest in terms of being, like, a a five-category player that doesn't exist in the majors leagues, but, you know, it's the easiest way to think about a player. Like, Robert's the closest in terms of being competitive in all five categories, and even then he only has 133 WRC+, and he doesn't have the pitching stats. Right. Him and Adelise are like the only two I can make a case for on the hitting side, but they're still not as good hitting stat-wise as Otani. And then plus, Otani is a pitcher. (laughs) 
I yeah, I literally have not thought of that, but that's incredible. Yeah, I think Otani is the MVP. Yeah, I think you can just give it to him now, even if he doesn't take another at bat. And he plans on batting through this injury, so he might yeah. hit 50 homers, and at that point, he's already gotten it still, but... That's incredible. Yeah, so that was the first question. And then the second question <laughs> is more of a formatting issue, where yeah. in fantasy... Uh-huh. How do you feel about this? Because this just happened, and I've kind of thought about it, and I kind of know where I stand. But yeah. on sites like NFBC and CBS, they have him as one player, where he's yeah. obviously not on the IL, so yep. he doesn't go on the IL, and you can use him as a bat for the rest of the season. Yep. Mm-hmm. On Yahoo, he's split into two players. Right, yep. The batter version and the pitcher version. And mm-hmm. at the moment on Yahoo... Because he's not pitching for the rest of the season, Yahoo put the pitcher version of Otani on the IL, even though the in-real-life version of Otani is not on the IL. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? That's fair. Okay. I, like, to me, there's it, you could also just drop him. I mean, granted, I know that there's, like, you know, ramifications for keeper leagues and yes. things like that. But in a, just a standard... 12 team 5 by 5 redraft league. I mean, you're either putting him on IL or you're just dropping him completely, right? So Right. To me, th- I mean, this is one of those situations where it's like if he didn't bat, he'd be on the IL. Right. And so I to me that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, that's a fair point that you pointed out there that if he was not a batter, he would be on the IL technically. Yeah. So, I like that point from you for me so I agree that in a redraft league you probably just drop him because it doesn't matter at all but for a keeper league like I'm in on Yahoo mm-hmm. it makes things difficult because the pitcher version of Otani in our keeper league has a really good keeper value right now mm-hmm. yeah. and the person who rosters him currently would have to sacrifice if he wasn't put on the IL a spot on his team that he can either stream with or have another bat with mm-hmm. if he decided to keep him on the team and possibly keep him for the next season. Now, granted, he has a torn UCL, so he's probably not pitching next season as well. So right. there's really no point to keeping the pitcher version of Otani. But he kind of just gets a free pass by being able to stash him on the IL, even though he's not on the IL. So I'm kind of torn because I understand it. And just mm-hmm. from a logistics standpoint, it makes sense. <laughs> Right. But then when you look at it another way, you're like, but he's not on the IL. And he's on the IL? I kind of can't wrap my head around that, where the player in real life is actually not on the injured list. But yeah. in fantasy, he is for just one version of him. So right. it's a little I mean, weird. But if, if this was a situation where they were like, you know, we're going to shut him down for two weeks, right? Then I don't think you put him on the IL. Like He doesn't get an IL designation, right? Right. But if the angels are just if the angels are straight up like he is not pitching for the rest of the season, then it's like that. That's essentially an IL designation. It just so happens that he's also a batter, right? Right, right. So I I think that's fair. I mean I I have him in my ESPN home league where he's a pitcher and a batter, so I don't have to deal with that that okay. issue. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, even in keeper leagues, I guess the he he's droppable. Right, because, as a like, pitcher, yes, as a pitcher, because he's not coming back next season. Right. If someone really wants to put money down on Shohei, I guess you know, go for it. But, um, yeah, to me, that just uh, 
I think I think on Yahoo League specifically, or just any league where he's two players, which I think is also the case on Fantrex or Fantrex, you can choose whether you want him to be two players or one player. I think. Okay. Um. Uh, you know, I, I think if if you if you have the pitcher version of Shohei, you just drop him because that that's not coming back. Yeah, that's a very fair point. I just thought I'd bring it up because of the fantasy discussion, and a lot of people yeah. out there are probably wondering what to do with pitcher version of Otani, which it's kind of weird because I think only one or two sites, like you mentioned, Fantrax, might have him as two different players and the rest have mm-hmm. him as one. So if you do roster Otani, the pitcher version on Yahoo or Fantrax or wherever else that he's two players, you're probably safe to drop him unless it's a dynasty format, then you obviously want to hold on to pitcher Otani right. or a keeper league where you can keep a player forever with no cost. Mm-hmm. But anything where you need to keep a player for one or two years, you can probably safely drop Otani the pitcher. Right. Yeah, I agree. So that was a lot of Shohei Otani talk, but it's justified. <laughs> I mean, we have to talk about it because it's such yeah. a major injury to the literal best player in baseball that it's warranting of a full discussion. So we had to talk about that, but let's get into the rest of the news because there is not too many, but all of it's pretty bad. So yeah, especially if you're an angels fan. Yeah. You don't want to hear the next (laughs) statement after this whole Otani thing, hearing that Mike Trout of the angels was activated from the 10 day IL on Tuesday, but went right back on the 10 day IL on Thursday due to lingering soreness in his left wrist. This might be a thing where Otani's, hurt and they just are deciding to pack it in they just are folding for the season and said you know what Mike don't get hurt any longer just go back on the IL and be good he probably could play through it but they're playing it safe now because they're pretty much out of it with this injury so general manager Perry Manasian said that Trout will be completely shut down for the next 10 days but they're hopeful that Trout will be able to return before the end of the season however if the Angels are out of contention I can't see them rushing him back so Mike Trout maybe not playing for the rest of the season, but obviously if you have him in a redraft or any type of fantasy league, you're just going to stash him on your IL and hope that he comes back towards the end of the season, maybe during playoff time. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros missed two straight games due to accidentally slamming his left index finger in a door. He was back in the lineup on Thursday. He's also in the midst of a mini slump. He's still hitting well and getting RBI, but I believe it's 13 or 14 games without a homer for Jordan, so I have a feeling he's going to go off very soon. I'm actually hoping for that because I have a few shares of him, so it would be nice if he got going, especially towards the playoff time. Jose Abreu of the Astros was activated from the 10-day IL on Wednesday, August 23rd. He missed two weeks due to lower back inflammation. This makes me wonder what playing time for Yiner Diaz will look like because Yiner Diaz was playing DH while Alvarez was out. And he was playing first base while Abreu was out. And now that Alvarez is back, Abreu is back. Does Yiner Diaz get a little bit more platoon? But his bat has been really good. So it makes it a little difficult for the Astros. I think you have to play Yiner Diaz somewhere in your lineup because he's been such a good bat. I mean, way better than Jose Abreu at the least. So wonder what the playing time looks there. But Abreu is back, which I'm sure very few people are happy about. O'Neal Cruz of the Pirates has shut down his running progression due to soreness in his surgically repaired left ankle. Cruz began a running program a couple of weeks ago, but his ankle hasn't responded as hoped, and his rehab has plateaued. Because of this setback, Cruz may not return at any point this season, especially with the Pirates having no need to rush him back. Kind of a bummer. I have two shares of him, and I was excited for the 
potential return of O'Neill Cruz, but might have to wait till next season for that. Joe Ryan of the Twins is likely to return from the 15-day IL on Saturday and start against the Rangers. Ryan pitched well in a minor league rehab start last Friday, pitching four innings, striking out seven, and allowing one hit, which was a solo homer. He threw 71 pitches in that start, so he shouldn't be on a strict pitch count limit in his return. Ryan is coming back from a left groin strain. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals is expected to be activated from the 10-day IL on Friday. By the time you're listening to this, he's probably off of the IL and back in the lineup. He's returning from a back injury. Nick Lodolo of the Reds was diagnosed with another stress reaction in his left tibia on Tuesday and is out indefinitely. Lodolo suffered this setback while making his third minor league rehab start on Sunday, and it's the exact same injury that has kept him out since early May. His return to the rotation in 2023 is currently questionable. I'm going to say that he doesn't return. Just really bad luck. He was someone that you kind of could get excited for because he was really close to returning, and it kind of was just taken away from us. So hopefully Lodolo's okay, and maybe we'll see him at the end of the season, but I don't think so. Jonathan India of the Reds traveled to the Reds training complex in Arizona, where he was slated to begin running on an anti-gravity treadmill on Wednesday. I just want to say running on an anti-gravity treadmill sounds like an amazing time. It's mainly for him to not put pressure on his limbs there, but it sounds like a really fun time. So I bet it's at least a little bit fun, even though you're going through an injury. India is scheduled for another MRI to determine the status of the plantar fasciitis in his left foot. Jake Fraley of the Reds will work out at AAA Louisville over the weekend and then play in rehab games on Tuesday and Wednesday. With that schedule in place, Fraley could rejoin the Reds in time for their homestand on September 1st against the Cubs. However, Fraley will eventually need to undergo surgery on his toe, but has been told that he can play through it for now. Jack Flaherty of the Orioles is currently dealing with general soreness, according to manager Brandon Hyde. His start was skipped to give him more rest, and he'll be reevaluated heading into the O's three-game weekend series against the Rockies. John Means of the Orioles shifted his minor league rehab assignment from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk and will make his fourth rehab start on Friday. He's returning from Tommy John surgery that he had back in April of 2022. Barring any setbacks, the 30-day rehab window will come to an end on September 8th and Means should be activated on September 9th. Emerson Hancock of the Mariners was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, August 21st with a right shoulder strain. He was then transferred to the 60-day IL on Tuesday, effectively ending his 2023 season. Wander Franco of the Rays was placed on administrative leave on Tuesday by Major League Baseball under the Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. He was previously on the restricted list and has been moved to administrative leave. Kyle Wright of the Braves began a rehab assignment on Thursday. His right shoulder checked out fine during recent live batting practice sessions, so he'll move to the final phase of the recovery program. Wright should be ready to return from the 60-day IL in early to mid-September, but it's unclear if the Braves will have a rotation spot for him. Following his seven-earned run disaster class against the Mets on Monday, Alan Winans of the Braves was optioned to AAA Gwinnett. Ranger Suarez of the Phillies was placed on the 15-day IL on Saturday, August 19th, with a right hamstring strain. Jaron Duran of the Red Sox was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, August 22nd, with a left toe sprain. In a corresponding move, Willier Abreu was recalled from the minors and hit his first home run on Thursday against the Astros. Kenley Jansen of the Red Sox was taken out of Wednesday's game against the Astros with hamstring tightness. 
Jansen reported improvement with his hamstring injury on Thursday and is confident that he can avoid a stint on the injured list. If you need a short-term replacement, the fill-in closer for the Red Sox should be Chris Martin. J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, August 22nd with left groin tightness. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said that Martinez will be out for at least two to three weeks. In a corresponding move, Michael Bush was recalled from AAA, where he was lighting it up, by the way. He was dominating in AAA. And like Willier Abreu, he also hit his first home run on Thursday against the Guardians. Edwin Diaz of the Mets threw off of a mound in the bullpen on Wednesday. It's the first time that he's thrown from the rubber since he underwent patellar tendon surgery in March. However, Diaz will most likely not pitch for the Mets in the 2023 season. Joe Musgrove of the Padres will play catch on Friday. It will be the first time that he's done any throwing since he landed on the IL in the beginning of the month with right shoulder capsule inflammation. Musgrove will require several flat ground sessions before being cleared for mound work, and whether he makes it back this season remains to be seen. I sure hope so. Have a few shares. Please come back, Joe Musgrove, for the playoffs. Robert Suarez of the Padres was ejected from Wednesday's game against the Marlins after a foreign substance inspection. He will most likely face a 10-game suspension. Stone Garrett of the Nationals was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, August 24th with a fractured left fibula. He had to be carted off of the field after getting his leg caught in the outfield wall at Yankee Stadium. He will miss the remainder of the 2023 season. Really unfortunate to see because Stone Garrett finally got a chance to play and he was doing pretty well and then this had to happen, so feel for the guy. And last but not least, Steven Strasburg of the Nationals is planning to announce his retirement from baseball on September 9th. A news conference is scheduled for that day at Nationals Park, where Strasburg will officially end his career at the age of 35. Also, just wanted to quickly mention we missed a few prospect call-ups because they got called up on Saturday or Sunday right after we released the podcast, and we didn't get to mention it, but Mason Wynn was called up by the Cardinals, Kyle Harrison was called up by the Giants, and also, Drew Rahm was called up by the Cardinals. So those were a few prospect call-ups. All have pretty good potential, but those are all of the prospect call-ups and the news from this past week. The one thing I will say is Steven Strasburg retiring is so unfortunate because you hate to see it get cut short due to injuries. It just stinks. It brings me back to David Wright and Prince Fielder, who could just be absolute Hall of Famers if they didn't have injuries, and Strasburg is right up there with them. It's really unfortunate to see he's had a great career. It's so sad. I mean, I remember when Steven Strasburg made his MLB debut and just set the world on fire. It was the most excited I've ever seen any fan base ever for a call-up, and it was just immaculate. So, Steven Strasburg, hats off to you. You had an excellent career, World Series MVP, World Series champion, but it just sucks that your career was cut short due to those nagging injuries. John, any last comments about the news? Uh, I mean, the main thing is Strasburg yeah, retiring is kind of huge. I just remember when he was uh, you know, playing at San Diego State and getting ready to get drafted. Um, I just remember being incredible that like a guy was throwing triple digits consistently. You know? Yeah, yep. Back then like, it was, was a rarity. Yeah, it was like, like wow, like, how? How is he doing this? <laughs> yep. And I just remember when he got, you know, picked and like what you said, the hype when he finally made the majors and it was like, oh yeah, this he's for real, you know? Like he's he's throwing hundred mile an hour fastballs past major leaguers and they can't do anything about it. And like he I mean, 
it's hard to say that he paved the way for other like hard throwing pitchers because obviously like just with technology and you know just with more learning and how baseball's grown you know that's just become more consistent but he was really the first guy to be like yeah i've got consistent triple digit velocity with my with my pitches and just because they're blowing past you doesn't mean that you can somehow time it because i've got break and you know i've got other good pitches that that work with this fastball and um yeah it was it was really incredible to see and then i remember you know him getting tommy john and wondering like is this it and he completely reinvented himself as a pitcher you know like he, he was working yeah. with i've got i got lower velocity but i can still work with this and you kind of realize like oh he he's more than just a hard thrower you know he he's learned a lot in his time in the majors on you know the, just the right way to pitch and so yeah it's tough to see his career ending um yeah it sucks because he just signed a big contract too and uh it was there was a lot of hope that you know he was going to uh you know, pitch for the for the good, uh, good portion of that as well. So uh, hard to see, but I mean, you know, congrats to him. Hope he enjoys his retirement. Uh, and yeah, he'll he'll forever be a Washington National, which I think is kind of cool. So uh, yeah, hats off to to Strasburg. Yeah, thirteen years with the Nationals, and I find it crazy that after he signed that contract, he only pitched thirty one point one innings with oh. the team in that time. So. Pretty brutal contract there, but what are you going to do? The guy had multiple injuries that kept him out, so unfortunate to see, but Steven Strasburg, hats off to you. Excellent career, and hate to see it get cut short. But that is all of the news from this past week. It's a little longer than we expected, but we had to talk about Otani. Sue us. What are we going to do? We have to do it, but we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will give you the weekly performance recap. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. 
So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But John, who performed well from this weekend, August 18th to August 20th, Friday to Sunday? Yeah, we'll start with Jorge Soler of the Miami Marlins. Two for four with two homers, three runs, two RBIs, and a walk on Friday. Soler, to me, is quietly having one of his best seasons of his career. It's kind of similar to that 2019 breakout when he hit 48 homers in that rabbit ball season with Kansas City. Um, he's brought his average up from 207 to 240 from last year, and he has an 87th percentile OPS that's um, buoyed not just by an elite slugging percentage, which, of course, we expect from Soler, but he also has an above-average OBP as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, definitely just, just everything's looking up for Soler right now. Um, that OBP actually is his highest since that 2019 season, so uh, pretty impressive to see that that kind of turnaround for him. He's decreased his striker rate by 5% as well, which is a big deal for a guy who you really associate with being a three-true outcome guy, and, and so being able to cut down on the strikeouts just helps more in getting on base. Um, those two homers got him to 32 total on the season last Friday, but now he's currently has 33, and that's good for fifth um, in the majors. And in 5x5 five five leagues, you'll deal with the fact that he has that lower average just because of all the helps he provides in runs, homers, and RPI as well. On Saturday, Cody Bellinger of the Cubs went two for three with two homers as well, two runs, and four RBIs. The only thing that Billy's been doing this year is rake as he's come back with a vengeance after striking out uh, to end Friday's game in a loss. Saturday was kind of his uh, reminder to the guys that he's uh, he's still there. He actually has the highest batting average of his career this season. And while he's nowhere near the counting stats of his ridiculous MVP year, he's certainly earned himself a big contract, um, I think, uh, this offseason. Uh, what's probably most impressive is that he's almost halved his strikeout rate from last year, and he's three steals away from a 2020 season, and it's conceivable that he still actually might reach 25-25 total in both those categories at the end of this, this season. Finally, going on to Sunday, Gunnar Henderson of the Baltimore Orioles went 4-for-5 with two doubles, a triple, a home run, three runs, and two RBI. It's usually not huge news when a player misses an opportunity to hit for a cycle, but in Gunnar Henderson's case, it's because he actually turned a single, which he could have stopped at the first base, into a double. Uh, way to be a team player there, Gunnar. Uh, after a pretty dismal introduction to the big leagues this season, Henderson has righted the ship, has 70 runs, 21 homers, and 61 RBI on the season, which are all above the 80th percentile among qualified batters. He also does show an impressive eye at the plate, drawing walks 10% of the time. Although, weirdly, he does have a 27% strikeout rate, so not exactly sure what's going on there, but um, he's getting on base a lot, which is really good. Henderson is definitely a front runner for the AL Rookie of the Year competition, and it's going to be a good race between him, uh, Josh Young, maybe uh, just a couple other guys in the in the um, in the American League who are doing well. Um, it, it, that's going to be a fun uh, competition to watch down the stretch. So Soler is having such a good season. Obviously, it's not his 48 homer 2019 with the rabbit ball, but it's the best campaign he's had since that time. He has hit 27 homers once in his career besides the 48 everything else was under 13 and 
he's got 33 right now. So it's really cool to see Soler have a bounce back season, for instance. He batted 207 last year in 72 games and only hit 13 homers. So it's a really good bounce back season for Soler. He's been very good for fantasy teams. Cody Bellinger, speaking about good for fantasy teams, Mm -hmm. I am so glad I bought low across all of my drafts on Cody Bellinger (laughs) because he has been everything I've wanted and more. I thought he might just go 25-10. The fact that he can realistically go 25-25 with an Mm -hmm. over 300 average is pretty remarkable. So Cody Bellinger is going to get paid in the offseason. Maybe the Mets? I think the Mets, probably the Mets, probably will regret it, but okay. And then Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, we were worried about this guy so long ago. It almost feels so distant now because Mm -hmm. I remember we were considering dropping him. I know a lot of people did drop him. So the fact that he's turned it around to 70 runs, 61 RBI, 21 homers is a really good sign. It's great to see that he didn't just flame out and that prospect pedigree really reigned true. Yeah, I think with Gunnar specifically, um, he was getting... I hesitate to say overdrafted because, you know, who who knows when you're drafting a rookie, um, and he's clearly proved it this season. But like, he was very consistently like kind of the top of the the tier two shortstops, third right. baseman, yep. ever coming off the draft board. I was like kind of shocked how early he was going, and then of course that the early season struggles. A lot of people were just kind of, well, I bought high on him, so I I, I guess I have to keep him, and it's it's worked out, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that did seem like a huge miss at the beginning of the season, just because of how high he was going in drafts. Yeah, I completely agree. When you take him in the first, I don't know, eight, seven rounds and you're expecting big things and then he becomes a droppable player. That's a pretty big turnaround in value. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on to pitchers. Um, I guess your old friend, Seth Lugo now of the Padres went up against the Diamondbacks, got into a decision on Friday, six innings with zero earned runs, five hits, three walks and nine strikeouts. Honestly, I don't know if you, you notice this, you might've because you know, it's Seth Lugo and he's an old Met, but he's actually having like a decent season, uh, fantasy wise. Uh, this is, you know, he was kind of a reliever for, for a big chunk of his career. And now with the Padres, he's been pushed into a starting role. He's got fairly respectable strikeout rates, which are in the 65th percentile among qualified pitchers. The walk rate's even better, 86th percentile. And impressively, if you look at the advanced metrics like PLV, he is kind of funnily funnily of a, a league average starter, which is like kind of what you hope for from like an SP4 sort of dude. And that's what Seth Lugo's been. Uh Obviously, he'll have duds like a 3.1 inning, eight earned run performance against the Dodgers, but then he'll have a a score like this one against Arizona with uh, with six shutout innings. The in this one specifically, the four seamer and the sinker had a combined 40% CSW, just dominating the conversation. Um, the nine strikeouts obviously is a very nice surprise. He's not going to get that most games, but he does really have salt stuff that can work from time to time, and he's very consistently having you know, five, six strikeouts in in these uh, six-inning games that he's pitching. He, of course, followed this game with six more shutout innings against the Marlins, and now he gets the Cardinals and the Giants, which aren't necessarily pushovers, but they're not hard competition as well. He's 38% rostered in Yahoo, 20% on ESPN, so if you need, like, a guy to, to start for you, and, you know, it's like maybe your number six, number seventh guy, Seth Lugo might be able to come in and, and really provide a nice little jolt to your team. Moving on to Saturday, we start with Yuri Perez of Miami. Uh, he went up against the Dodgers, six innings with zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. In this game, Perez didn't just look like a potential ace, but rather a guy who could be ready even now. 
I get that's a little hyperbole because the big thing with Perez is consistency. Uh, but you really can't argue against that talent. The fastball was in at 98 miles an hour. It was getting consistently thrown for strikes. Um, it, the slider and the curveball as well were pretty good. They were getting whiffs as well. His lack of command is still kind of evident with how many pitchers were ending up in the dirt, even though he did finish with zero walks, so good on him. Uh, but this is really an exciting taste of things to come for the young Marlin. Moving on to Sunday, we have Kyle Bradish of the Baltimore Orioles going up against Oakland with the win. Six innings, zero earned runs, two hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Bradish has been a pleasant surprise this season. He's brought down his ERA from 4.9 to 3.03, and his whip has been down from 1.4 to 1.10. He's also improved both his striker rate and his walk rate. And Sunday was a good st- example of how he's evolved this season. Heavy reliance on that slider-sinker combo, got 11 whiffs on the slider alone. And yes, he was facing the A's, but he's really put up solid numbers all throughout the season, regardless of who the competition is. And he gets Colorado this week and Arizona at the end of next week. So if he's somehow available in your leagues, I definitely recommend picking him up. And then finally, I did have to shout out Dallas Keiko, who honestly I don't believe should be starting in the majors, but here he is. <laughs> and he pitched 6.1 perfect innings before giving up a double to Brian Reynolds. And no, this does not mean you should pick him up. Uh, this was a complete aberration. That being said, if you really need someone in like a deep league or an ale only league, the Twins are kind of talking about moving to a six-man rotation. So I wouldn't be surprised if Keiko gets a few more starts. So you weren't here when I took my Seth Lugo victory lap on the <laughs> weekend where I did the podcast solo yeah. because I took a little victory lap because if you remember, and I'd love for listeners to go back and listen to our off-season podcast where we were going around to each team saying who we were excited about or who we want to see break through from each team and for the Padres I chose Seth Lugo and at the time I was trying to say hey it's not a Mets bias it's just the fact that he might get a starting role and if he does get a starting role he has the stuff to be good and Mm -hmm. that's exactly what he's doing he's been a great pitcher off of the wire for any fantasy team I have him rostered in I believe 80% of my leagues. So I took a little victory lap, maybe a little bit too early, but it was a good victory lap because he did have a stinker against the Dodgers, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of expected for any pitcher that's league average, right? Right. Against the other teams, he's been phenomenal. So Seth Lugo, if he's still out there, I highly recommend for people to grab him, mainly in quality start leagues, also in wins leagues, but the Padres haven't been too good, but quality start leagues, he's getting the job done. Yuri Perez is just awesome. I can't wait for next season. I want to see where he goes in drafts, but I'm scared because I think it's going to be ridiculously high. And then Kyle Bradish has been really good all season, and it's great to see him continue his success in Baltimore. And lastly, Dallas Keuchel, if you happen to be in a 30-team league, yes, you should pick up <laughs> Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, the deepest of deep, deep leagues. Yeah, I might have misspoke. I meant 40-team leagues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> it was honestly like it was kind of funny because um i'm trying not to get too much off topic but uh in in his two starts previous he had faced 36 batters and not recorded a single strikeout and uh i think he finally recorded a strikeout after his like 42nd or 43rd batter faced uh as a, in the major leagues this season and it was just like the classic like yeah dallas keiko man just gets a lot of ground outs helped up by the defense and still can't get like any whiffs at all. So <laughs> um, it was almost as impressive as uh, the week before when Adam Wainwright pitched 92 pitches, I think, 
and didn't record a single whiff, which is yeah. just incredible. <laughs> it's crazy. And one little fun fact before we move on. Do you happen to know who Kyle Bradish was acquired for? Who did the Orioles trade away to get Kyle Bradish? Oh, that's interesting. You have a wild so, guess? I, I know it's not Machado because that's how Dean Kramer ended up on, okay. um, on, the, on Baltimore. Um, trying to remember where Bradish was before. Uh, before Baltimore, but who could have Baltimore traded away? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was a starting yeah. pitcher. It was a, oh, it was Kevin Gossman. No, it was Dylan Bundy. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Orioles traded away Dylan Bundy and got Kyle Bradish in return, who was never meant to be a starter. And yeah, look at him wow. now; he's dominating for the Orioles. So he he was part of the Angels organization, is what you're saying? I think so. Yes. Okay, that's hilarious. I I love that it's Dylan Bundy. <laughs> it always is Dylan Bundy, isn't it? Hey, he had the best pitch in the game for one season. <laughs> That's true. It's very, very true. Moving on to Monday, August 21st, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo, we start with Adam Duvall of the Red Sox, who went 3-for-5 with a double, a homer, a run, and 3 RBI. Did you happen to see the call made on the broadcast for Adam Duvall's homer, John? I did not. It was incredible. So Kevin Millar was in the booth and Kevin Millar basically said to the announcer, which I am sorry, I don't know the Red Sox main announcer's name, but mm. Kevin Millar was like, you know what? I'm cashing it in right now. I'm calling it right now. Duvall's going to get a hold of one. He's going deep. And literally one second later, like as he was pitching, he said that. And one second later, Duvall hit a homer incredible it was I, I love awesome. I love it when I love it when that happens it's me so too much fun. <laughs> me too and the main announcer for the Red Sox was going wild he goes oh you're a wizard this is crazy what's going on <laughs> so it was really really cool to see that it was an awesome call I mean you love to see when that happens but yeah since coming back from the IL Duvall has picked up right where he left off just from this game on Monday to Thursday Duvall has gone nine for 16 with three home runs in three straight games might I add Monday Tuesday and Wednesday eight RBI Four runs and two walks. With Duran going on the IL, Duvall should see everyday playing time where he could have a huge power surge to finish the season. If you lost Duran or someone bigger like Trout or JD Martinez, and if Duvall is out there, I'd grab him and see if he could stay hot. He's only 30% rostered on Yahoo currently. The only downside is that the Red Sox have one of the toughest remaining schedules this season. So keep that in mind, but if Duvall gets hot, he can just go on a tear and really carry your offense. So Duvall's a name to keep in mind if you need some help in the power department. Cal Rowley of the Mariners went three for five with a double, two home runs, three runs, and six RBI. Catchers have kind of been an enigma all season long. Sean Murphy's been incredible, but plays like three games a week now. Francisco Alvarez goes red hot in one month and then ice cold in another month and is now being regularly rested. Real Muto has taken a step back. I don't know, catcher's kind of been weird this season, but Cal Rowley has been dominant as of late. He's hit 24 home runs this season, which leads all of catchers, and sits third for runs and RBI at the position as well. He's been red hot in August, and that leads me to the question for you, John. Between Cal Rowley and other catcher-eligible player who's been hot, Yiner Diaz of the Astros, who would you rather pick up, and would you drop the person I just named, Francisco Alvarez, for either of them? Ooh. Um, so I guess, it, I mean, the hard, the hard context part about this, right, is that Alvarez has kind of gone 
cold, right? Yeah. Like, yep. it's not that he's had bad performances for the last month. It's just, like, literally in the last, like, two weeks, it's just been another burger, right? Right. Um, I think if I'm choosing between Raleigh and Alvarez, I'm taking Raleigh. If I'm choosing between Diaz and Alvarez, it's kind of like what you mentioned in the injury news and notes is, what is Diaz's role now, you know? Right. If, if Houston is willing to give him the at-bats every single day, uh, whether that's, you know, at DH, at first base, at, you know, um, even as a catcher, I guess. Um, I, I think you go with Diaz over Alvarez, but I would take Raleigh overall. So that it feels like a cop-out answer because obviously Raleigh's doing the best out of the three right now. Right. But it, it does seem like that's kind of the, the way it should go um, between those three. Alvarez, Alvarez it, until he gets consistent playing time, um, that it just feels droppable. So I agree completely. They already came out, the Mets that is, saying that they're going to play Francisco Alvarez sporadically, give him rest days, you know, really ease him out of this season because he's had a great rookie season. So caps off to him. But for fantasy in a standard redraft league, head-to-head, roto, whatever it may be, I take Cal Rally over both of them. And then I take Yiner Diaz over Francisco Alvarez. But that's only if he has consistent playing time, of course. Because Mm -hmm. then you have Yiner Diaz or Francisco Alvarez both in like every other day roles, kind of. And I think maybe I still lean Yiner Diaz because Francisco Alvarez is so hot and cold. But Mm -hmm. I think I just go Kyle Rowley over both of them. You got to go with a big dumper, right? With that type of nickname, you always have to go with him. Yeah, you got it. And he's a Mariners folklore legend after hitting a home run to send him to the postseason, and he's getting hot again. So maybe he just likes this time of the year where he just comes in clutch. So that might have a factor. So keep that in mind. If you have Francisco Alvarez, I would feel safe dropping him in a redraft league for Kyle Raleigh or Yiner Diaz. And then lastly, Marcelo Zuna of the Braves went two for four with two home runs, two runs, and two RBI. There has been no hotter hitter in August than Ozuna from the Braves. He ranks in the 94th percentile or higher in barrel percentage, ex-slugging percentage, and ex-woba, as well as 90th percentile in average exit velocity. With the stats that he's provided while hitting in the middle of that potent Braves lineup, he's been incredible for anyone that rosters him in fantasy. So if you were able to pick him up off the wire, kudos to you because he's been hot. Yeah, uh... Duval for sure has been one of those guys where I was like super in on him at the beginning of the season. Yep. And then like, oh, that didn't really work out. And and uh but now it's good to see that he's found his way back. And I, I think that's kind of what Duval is, right? Like he's one of those really hot batters, right? Yep. And when he's hot, you go for it. And when he's not, you don't feel bad about dropping him. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of the archetype of the Chris Davis, K H R I S Davis, or like Adam Dunn, where they're just going to put up huge power numbers in giant bunches. And if they're not doing that, they're probably just striking out a bunch and not doing well at all. So if you catch them in the hot streak, they are really, really good for fantasy. Moving on to pitchers from Monday, we have the SP Roundup article, Maple Timber by Nick Pollock. We start with Luis Castillo of the Mariners, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the White Sox. This was a dominant performance from number three on the list. A true ace is going to ace moment. So ace, in fact, that Castillo threw 47 consecutive fastballs. Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish on Twitter or X said that Castillo said that he didn't realize that he was only throwing fastballs and didn't wonder if the pitch comm was stuck. Cal Raleigh said it was beautiful. 
Just a really fun display there from Castillo, who I have nothing to really add on about, except he is awesome and so fun to watch. It was crazy just seeing either a four-seamer or a two-seam fastball for 47 consecutive pitches. You just don't see that. It was insane. Aaron Nola of the Phillies went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, seven hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against the Giants. After the first inning, I'm not going to lie, I was starting to get really unhappy with Aaron Nola, especially against the Giants of all teams. However, he calmed down and managed to turn in a great performance. Sure, the strikeouts were a bit low, and the pitch mix is still in limbo. Some starts he'll go fastball and curveball heavy, which he should be doing, and then others he'll throw the sinker and changeup often, which most of the time those pitches get rocked, at least this season. It's been a very frustrating season in general for Nola, but starts like these make you hopeful that he can at least finish the season strong. Us Aaron Nola rosterers really are hoping so, because if he's not good in the playoffs, what a bust in the second or third round of your drafts because he was going as like the SP4 off the board and just not good. Just not good. And we mentioned him last week, but I have to shout out Jordan Montgomery of the Cardinals who went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. He had 16 whiffs on this one, which was the most for the day on Monday, and he just pitched really well. You like to see the bear rolling. Yeah, just a couple notes on Aaron Nola. Um, it's kind of funny because he's kind of meeting with the trend of like, he sucks one year and then he's great the next year. Um, and there was a great post in the, uh, baseball trivia channel on the, on the peel discord. And I'm trying to find it right now because I, I thought it was just a little, well, just a little sad. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. So here's like the, the fun stat about Aaron Nola. He was the first pitcher since 1884 to finish a season with at least 220 strikeouts and less than 30 walks. That's what he did last season. And he is completely not that this season. So yeah, man, it's, it's unfortunate that he's, he's been bad this year, but maybe that means that he's really good next year. So, you know, uh, Hopefully that that's the trend for Nola and, and for your for your teams next year in redraft. Yeah, it's so hard because I want to be fully off of Aaron Nola. I was ridiculously in on him this season. I yeah, guess that he was two hundred twenty strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was all the way in on Aaron Nola. I was buying in everywhere. I was like, okay, good. I wanted longevity this season. That was my goal for pitching going in. I said, I want pitchers that are going to go deep into games. Sandy, mm-hmm. I'm in on. Aaron Nola, I'm in on. Lance Lynn, I'm in on. Like, I was in on all those old, forgotten guys or the guys that just go long innings and the strikeouts come with the compilation of the innings. Yep. And they've all kind of let me down, huh? Like, <laughs> Sandy's turned it around. Nola's been horrible. Lynn's kind of turned it around, but he was horrible. They're mm-hmm. all kind of letting me down, and that's very upsetting. But I think Aaron Nola's price is going to go way down next season, and I guarantee you I'll be in on him because if he does have that every other year's a good year thing, next season he's going to be cheap and great, and it's going to be so sad that I have him on my teams again and I have to go through this again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of the the fun of it, right? Like you kind of bank on like they've got the talent, and sometimes the talent works out, and sometimes like we've seen this year with, those pictures that you mentioned with Sandy and Aaron, it just hasn't come through, which sucks. Yep. 
Well, then moving on to Tuesday, August 22nd, uh, starting with the hitting recap article from Mark Stubinger. Uh, we're going to start with Dalton Varsho of Toronto Blue Jays, two for five with a homer, one run, two RBI, and a stolen base. As a full-time outfielder, Varsho has really failed to help out fantasy managers who drafted him, hoping to have an offensive force at catcher. After a season where he hit 27 homers in Arizona, he got traded to what should have been a friendlier park in Toronto, especially for um, his handedness, and he only has 16 homers on the season. He still, he still has shown off the speed with 15, 15 bags, but the rest of the numbers are well below his career average. One indicator of his struggles, his barrel rate has gone down, but his hard contact rates have actually stayed the same, along with an increase in fly ball rates. He, uh, it's hard to say because I haven't watched too much film on Varsho, but it really looks like he's focused on getting under the ball because, hey, he got traded to Toronto to hit homers and might as well, you know, go under the, get under the ball to hit more homers. But instead of, you know, getting them off at the optimal launch angle, he's, probably just popping up a lot more balls and that's leading to a lot of uh balls that he's hitting with extremely high launch angles so uh yeah it just really hasn't worked out for varsho year one um in toronto and it's going to be hard to say where his draft position falls next season uh because he's going to lose that catcher eligibility uh mookie betts is the second player we're talking about obviously from the dodgers two for three with a two with a double two runs a walk and two stolen bases if you look at mookie's pitcherless player played page all you see is basically a sea of red. Seriously, go take a look. Out of the 12 stats we show on the main table of the player page, Mookie is in the top 30 in every stat except for stolen bases and strikeout rate. He's having his best season number-wise since his 2018 MVP season with the Red Sox, and we still have a month of baseball to go still. It's also real fun that he has second base and shortstop eligibility as well. Um, on all sites so i think that's only going to help his stock go up next year if that's even possible as like a guy who's getting picked in the mid first round i i'm very curious to see if mookie starts getting more respect as like potentially a top five pick but uh you know with his makeup it's still not necessarily a ton of homers and a or it is a ton of homers it's not like a ton of steals necessarily uh but honestly to me that that really doesn't matter so I'll start with Mookie, where Mookie, yeah, as second base and shortstop and outfield eligible for next season, I think he's easily a top five pick in fantasy. I would be super happy taking him fifth overall. I haven't really mm -hmm. done my layout of who should go in the first round, technically, like in what order I would pick them in, but I can see Mookie Betts easily, easily, easily being someone that I take in the first five. Because, sure, you're maybe not getting the steals that you wanted. He's got 10 this season, but he also has 34 homers. And then the big kicker is he has 103 runs and 86 RBI. He also mm -hmm. has a 300 average and 397 OBP. That's as typical of a first-round pick that you can get. Like, that is the most consistent production from Mookie Betts, who has consistently been great. He's got three different eligibilities. He's given you 30 homers, 10-plus steals, 300 average, 100 runs. Yeah, give me that guy all day long. He seems so safe in the top five for the first round. And then, believe it or not, you would think that Roger Center would be really good for left-handed hitters in that park. That's, that's why they traded for Varsho. Yeah, and <laughs> believe it or not, looking up on Baseball Savant's park factor, in uh -huh. 2023, yeah. out of 33 stadiums that were played in, and that includes London Stadium and the other two stadiums that they visited, oh, yep. 
on that 33 field list, the Blue Jays Rogers Center is 25th for park factor for left-handed pitching. Really? It is playing really, really poorly for left-handed batters, which uh. is coincidentally a whole flip side to what everyone expected it to do. Right. So, well, because the whole whole thing with it was that they were bringing the walls in. Yes. But they did raise them. Right. Exactly. So there's that. Yeah. And it's kind of having like a Baltimore effect on the hitters that are left-handed. So, yeah, Roger Center is not a great place for lefties, at least this season. We'll see if it changes, but this season it's not doing well for lefties. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny because you'd think that the Blue Jays would have maybe figured that out, but I guess, you know... It's hard to say because no, no one had played yet and when, when they traded for Varsho. So, you know, they they just think, hey, we're bringing in the walls. So maybe it should that's be good. Help our lefties. <laughs> yeah, right. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I, I know, like, they, they signed him or they signed um, Brandon Belt. Uh, Brandon Belt, that's right. Um, and yeah, those lefties just really haven't done much yep. this season. Well, moving on to pitchers then, uh, we're going to start, thanks to Nick Pollock for the Harrison Horde uh, SP Roundup article, starting with Justin Verlander of the Houston Astros, going up against Boston, getting the win six innings with zero earned runs, five hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. We really haven't talked too much this season about the rating AL Cy Cy Young winner because, well, frankly, this is actually one of his worst seasons in recent memory. That being said, though, a worst season for Justin Verlander still means he has a 3.19 ERA and a 1.18 whip, which is just disgusting. Uh, nothing has really changed too dramatically for Verlander this season, if you look at his metrics. The fastball is down about a half a tick in velocity, but not significantly so. And the spin rates on all his breakers actually seem about the same. That being said, though, his swinging strike rate has dropped by two percentage points, and the strikeout rate is actually below league average for Verlander, which is incredible. Against the Red Sox, he did manage 13 whiffs on that fastball, but then his secondary stuff really failed to support that with only three total whiffs among all his breakers. He did get 10 called strikes on the curveball, but that's not really that sustainable. Still, you probably aren't that disappointed by Verlander's performances here. It's just not Cy Young level. One guy who is playing at Cy Young level is Zach Gallon of the Diamondbacks. He went up against the Texas Rangers, getting the win. Six innings, one in run, seven hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts. Honestly, if Spencer Strider weren't just completely dominating the competition, Gallon would be in the Cy Young conversation for the National League. I mean, maybe it is technically a race, but it just feels like it's Spencer Strider's to lose. He only allowed a solo homer in this specific game. Otherwise, he shut down the hottest offense in the American League. This season, he's cut down on his cutter usage, instead relying on that fastball-curveball change mix even more. He went very heavy on fastball usage in this game. I think it was like nearly 60% or something like that. Um, But he earned his whips and called strikes with that pitch. The curveball and the changeup also did enough to get their own whips as well. And it's nice that we're finally getting to see the true ace form of Zach Gallen. So both of these guys are just aces, not really anything to add on that. But I do want to comment on the Cy Young race for the NL. And I don't really think that it's definitely Strider's. And the reason being is Strider's strikeout pace is otherworldly. So that is by far something that he could win it on alone. His ERA is a little bit high, but otherwise the wins, the Ks, all in Strider's favor. However, there's a sneaky one guy that uh, you yeah, didn't I mention. You're mention I know who you're going to mention. <laughs> and that's Blake Snell. Oh, my goodness. Snellzilla. Imagine a 10-9. I'm kidding. Pitchers are, <laughs> wins are a terrible pitcher stat. 
Yes, they are a horrible pitcher staff. But Snell leads the league in ERA. He also leads the league in walks, but he leads the league in ERA. And it's pretty remarkable to think about that. So I think the race is between Snell, Gallant, and Strider. We'll see who finishes stronger, but I don't know. If I had to end it right now, I'd probably give it to Strider. But man, I'd love to give it to my boy Snell. He shouted me out on Twitch one time, man. I love the guy. (laughs) He's great. I love Blake Snell. So if he won, I'd be super psyched for him. But I think Strider's the guy I would give it to. Well, so MLB.com today put out their power rankings for okay. like pitchers, and Blake Snell is number one, which yeah. I thought was the funniest thing ever. And you know, you look at his stats; it's like if you're if you're like a really old school guy, right? You're like, oh, the ERA is great, but he has ten wins and nine losses. It's yeah. like, <laughs> who cares about the wins and losses? He's yeah. pitching amazing. Yep. And his his you know his strikeout rates, you know, not Spencer Strider, but no one is Spencer Strider. Blake Snell has the third highest K per nine. In, in among qualified pitchers, so it's true. Blake Snell is definitely a little bit of a dark horse, or uh, I, he's a horse in the competition. He's not a dark horse; he's a horse. I completely uh, agree with that. I think yeah. Snell could definitely win it. It'll be a little bit of a stretch, but I think he could do it, especially if he ends really strong. Yeah, that five walk per nine though is not helping at it, all. That needs to come down just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. But moving on to Wednesday, August twenty third, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton. We start with Aaron Judge, the captain of the Yankees, who went three for four with three home runs, three runs, and six RBI. For the first time in his young career, Judge hit three home runs in a single game. Two of the homers were monster shots, 449 and 456 feet. The final one was a 369-foot homer to right field, the old Yankee Stadium special. The 456-footer, though, was a grand slam, which allowed for Judge to rack up those six RBI. Judge has been otherworldly when he's been on the field. In just 73 games this season, Judge has hit 28 homers, which I believe puts him on pace for around 63 to 65 homers. He's just unbelievable. So hopefully he can avoid those freak incidents and Dodger Stadium can get rid of those stupid cement bricks under their walls and Aaron Judge will be good to go for the rest of the season. So he's been awesome. And then speaking of players that are awesome and tall and incredible, and that had six RBI on Wednesday, Ellie De La Cruz of the Reds went three for 10. Don't go crazy. It was a doubleheader. Three for 10 with a triple, a homer, three runs, six RBI, and a stolen base. We haven't spoken much about Ellie recently, mainly because he's been a mixed bag of results. On one hand, he's striking out over 40% of the time. And on the other hand, whenever he hits the ball or does anything, he's putting up counting stats. There was always going to be some growing pains for Cruz's first time in the majors, but The key is that even with all of his struggles, despite this ridiculously high strikeout rate, he's still a fantasy monster. In this doubleheader, he filled up the stat sheet, hitting the homer in Game 1 and stealing the base in Game 2. A fun fact here, thanks to Sarah Langs on Twitter, or X, with his stolen base on Tuesday, which gave him 20 for the season, he now has 21, Ellie De La Cruz had the fewest career games to reach 10 home runs and 20 stolen bases since 1900. He achieved 10 homers and 20 steals in just 64 career games, beating out none other than Barry Bonds, who did it in 65 games. Just a generational talent here with Cruz. Obviously, if you're frustrated with the strikeouts, they were always going to happen, but he will work through that. And despite all of the strikeouts, he's still giving you 10 homers and 21 steals. I mean, 
what more can you ask for from this guy who's only played a fraction of the season? So Ellie is super exciting. He's a one-of-a-kind talent. And even though he's going through his little bumps and bruises as a rookie, I think he's a special, special player. So I'm not really going to talk about any of these batters, but it's a it's kind of a fantasy moment. Uh, I'm in the playoffs. I'm in the semis in, in my home league, right? And my opponent decided to uh, decided to spot start Mackenzie Gore in this game. Oh, okay. Yeah, I also uh, <laughs> faced someone who streamed Mackenzie Gore, and it was very upset. So you can get on with the story. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who was following this Yankees-Nationals game, uh, I saw that they were up 6-0, and I was like, oh, that's great. You know, like uh, – I'll I'll take the the opposing pitcher getting six earned runs in like two innings and that'll help me a lot. And then turns out only two of those were earned. So I was like, Mackenzie Gore might might be in line for a quality start despite giving up six runs. But uh, he only pitched I think five innings. Uh, he ended up only pitching five innings in that game, so he didn't get the quality start. But it's one of those really funny sweats in uh in fantasy baseball where you have to wonder if a guy who gave up six runs is going to get a quality start. <laughs> Yeah, well, I looked at it when Judge hit the first home run, and I saw Mackenzie Gore's ERA go up for my opponent. I was like, yes, love to see that. And then I saw Judge hit a grand slam. I got the notification. I was like, oh, my God, this is off Gore as well. I was like, six earned runs. This is crazy. And I look at his ERA didn't go up. And I was like, wait, what happened here? And I looked at the thing, and it was like, error. I was like, no, come on, man. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those really funny situations where it's like, eh, Fine. I mean, I guess I'm already leading in ERA, so it doesn't really matter that much, but it would have been nice to have a bigger cushion. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, you always want to see your opponent's ERA balloon up. You never want to see it not go up after six runs, but it happened to me as well. So I feel your pain on that one. That was definitely something interesting of note there. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP Roundup article and the undertow by Nick Pollock. We start with Cole Reagans of the Royals. He went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, two hits, zero walks, and 11 strikeouts against the Athletics in a win over them. This man is getting silly. Sure, this start came against Oakland, but it's not his opponent that is making him a legit fantasy stud. Reagans was sitting 98 miles per hour in this start, whereas in his previous starts, he was sitting 96, and we were excited about that because he's previously up from 92 in the past, so he was already up 4 miles per hour on his fastball, now he's up another 2, which I really hope this doesn't lead to an injury, but besides that, I'm not letting this hype train get derailed, he was sitting (laughs) 98, he even hit 101 miles per hour at one point. Nick pointed out an incredibly fun stat. Reagan's threw 33 fastballs with a 61% strike rate, and he didn't allow a single one of those fastballs to be hit into play. He had a 45% CSW on the pitch with five foul balls. Nothing in play. Absolutely bonkers. And if we weren't already hyped about Reagan's enough, his next two starts are against the Pirates and the White Sox. The Royals actually have the best schedule for pitchers moving forward for the rest of the season. It's probably too late to pick up Reagan's in your league, but for some reason, if you're lucky enough to be in a league where there's no outside communication and no one can check Reddit or pitcher list or any of those sources... (laughs) If he's out there, don't walk, don't run, don't sprint, strap nitrous oxide to your sneakers and get him now because he could very well 
be a league winner. Cole Reagans. Who would have thought? He is awesome. And his mustache is ace. He is such a fun pitcher to watch. Next, we have Aaron Savale of the Rays, who I personally love, but I mean, right now, Cole Reagans has everyone's heart, so sorry, Savale. Savale went five innings pitched, three earned runs, four hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Rockies. This was actually a much better pitching performance than the line indicates for Savale. He was really impressive in this start with a 44% CSW overall for a King Cole against the Rockies. Yes, it's the Rockies on the road, but the pitch mix was excellent and the actual stuff Savale was throwing looked filthy in this one. However, the Rays did a typical Rays thing and pulled him after starting the sixth inning off with hitting Charlie Blackman and then giving up a bad luck bloop single to Ezekiel Tovar at just 80 pitches. They pulled him after 80 pitches. Before that inning, Savale went five innings pitched with one earned run, three hits, and no walks. Those two runners that were Savale's responsibility, of course, came into score, which made his line look a lot worse. But Savale looks to be going up against the Marlins next, where I'd be confident in starting him there. So if Savale's out there and you need a streamer or a guy, I would probably recommend Aaron Savale. I streamed him for this last start, and I'm going to stream him again. So I really like Aaron Savale. I've always liked Savale, and he's pitching for the Rays. Just please, come on. Kevin Cash, stop pulling your guys when they're dominant. I don't care if he has 80 pitches. Let him go 88. Who cares? The runs came in anyway. Just let him pitch. And last but not least, I have to talk about one of the bad starts, which is Corbin Burns of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, six earned runs, eight hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against your twins, John. Burns has recently turned his season around, having eight quality starts in his last 10, but those two starts that he didn't get a quality start he kind of got blown up. He just doesn't have complete control on the cutter and curveball this season, which is resulting in the lack of strikeouts. I mean, he's still striking people out, but not at the rates of 2021 and 2022, where he had 234 Ks in 167 innings pitched and 243 Ks in 202 innings pitched, respectively. However, despite all of that, in this season's pitching landscape, Burns has still put up a 3.65 ERA, a 1.08 whip, and more than a strikeout per inning, which gets the job more than done. And a quick question for you, John. Do you think Corbin Burns is a top-five pitcher going into drafts next season? So, this one's fun because he's a free agent, right? Let me double-check yeah. that, but I'm pretty sure he is a free agent. So, it kind of almost depends on where he goes, uh, which I think is a stupid cop-out answer. Um Let's just say he stays in Milwaukee for the sake of this conversation. I, oh man, it's tough because the talent is there, but it's, it just, it somehow unraveled this season. I, I want to say he's not a top five pitcher next year. I think I could probably name five guys that I like a little bit more than Burns. But that being said, like he, he could easily become a top five guy uh, next season if, if he just kind of finds that control again you know it i hate to, i hate to give an answer like that but that's kind of how i feel about it it's if he's just missing one or, one or two things it, it's kind of like how we feel about sandy this season right right like is sandy gonna be a top five pitcher next season i think he's gonna be drafted like one but you know just a couple tweaks of the off season you know hint hint go to driveline or something like that maybe that fixes the one thing that's been that's been that burns has been dealing with this season and all of a sudden yeah he's back to being an, an absolute ace. So the reason we both thought that he would be a free agent next season is because of that whole thing this 
preseason where Burns was in arbitration and felt disrespected and whatnot. But Burns is actually a free agent in 2025. Okay. So he's in ARB 2 right now. He's in ARB 3 next season. And then in Mm -hmm. 2025, he's officially a free agent. So if the Brewers are out of it next season, they might trade him at the deadline, which could be Mm. kind of exciting. But that's Mm. for another note. So 2025, he's a free agent. But yeah, I also agree. I think it's so close. Like what he's doing this season with how bad pitching has been, it's -hmm. still respectable and it's still getting the job done. So I really like what Burns is doing even though it's not what we expected because he was drafted as what the second or third pitcher off the board. It was Garrett Cole, Sandy and Corbin Burns in somewhat of that order. Pretty much. Yeah. Just that top three. And then maybe a few crazy people who thought Strider was the real deal. And then Aranola for all the people like me who blew it. So (laughs) (laughs) besides that Corbin Burns was expected to have maybe a high two ZRA with a lot of strikeouts, but he hasn't given you that, and I think he's somewhere right around there at the five, six, seven spot for pitcher going into next season. So we'll see how he ends this season. If he looks more like his old self, then I'd be inclined to take him in the top five going into next year. But if not, he's kind of in that range. I think he's still top ten. Yeah, that that, that feels fine to me. I, I I would definitely say Burns will be a top ten pitcher next year. Yeah, I agree, and so will Cole Reagans. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, somehow on this team that I'm in the semifinals of the playoffs for, I'm relying on two Kansas City Royal pitchers, yep. Cole Reagans and Brady Singer. And I Crazy. don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I would feel uneasy, but at the same time, so hyped. <laughs> hey, the best schedule, right? That's what you said. Yep, it is. It really is the best schedule for pitchers moving forward. Like, they will face the least good bats moving forward for the rest of the season. They have the easiest schedule. So hold on tight to your Royal starting pitchers. Yeah, I guess. All right. Well, moving on to Thursday's games, we're going to start with Alex Verdugo of the Red Sox. He went four for seven. Uh, you you heard that right. He, it was not a doubleheader. He did actually get seven <laughs> at-bats in one game. Uh, he finished with a home run, two RBIs, and two runs. Um, it was a night full of offense for the Red Sox, actually, with Verdugo leading the way from the leadoff spot. The team as a whole had 49 at-bats, 30 base runners, and 17 total runs against the Houston Astros. Verdugo has had a down year by his standards with his lowest average of his career since 2019. That's when he was back with the Dodgers and still kind of as an up-and-down rookie. The OPS is at least better than last year, but his IPA, his ideal plate appearance rate, has decreased this season. And that's kind of the one thing you want from Verdugo, right? A guy who can make contact, a guy who can get on base. Um, and he just hasn't been doing that at the same rate this season as he has in the past. Still, it's nice to get a four-hit evening, even though it did come with seven at-bats. And maybe as Boston continues this surprising surge to qualify for the playoffs, his performance also improves to a two along with the team. His former teammate, Kike Hernandez, now of the Dodgers, went through a five with a home run, two RBI, two runs, and two doubles. Hernandez's extra base hits helped lead the way for the Dodgers in this one. All three of his were hard-hit balls as well. Since returning to the Dodgers from the Red Sox, in 80 plate appearances, Hernandez has had a 284, 325, 432 slash line, which if you look at it, yeah, that's not that great, but it is actually significantly better than his season numbers. Um, and so basically it's, it's loads better than how he was playing in Boston. Somehow the Dodgers have managed to hit on pretty much all their trade deadline acquisitions and free agent acquisitions this season. Uh, Lance Lynn all of a sudden is a startable pitcher in fantasy. Um, you know, Hernandez is doing well. Uh, just a lot of guys that the Dodgers have managed to kind of turn around a little bit. And yeah, Hernandez seems to be the latest mini success story. 
nothing really to note here, but I did pick up Kike Hernandez in TGFBI, and it's nice to see I got something out of it. He is my starting second baseman at the moment because of injuries, so hey, thank you, Kike. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I also have him in, in TGFBI, but he's on my bench because I don't know where to put him right now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I have a little bit of a different issue, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's been legit for the past couple weeks, so why not have him on your team? Yeah, he's just filling in, and he's doing a pretty decent job. Yeah. Uh, moving on to pitchers, it was kind of a rough day for pitchers overall. Not a lot of, like, stellar outings. So uh, we're going to start with Brian Bello, uh, or Bayo technically, of the Red Sox. Um, again, that 17-1 game. Houston only scored one run in this one. That's because Bayo li- limited them in seven innings to nine hits, one and run, three walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, this was actually the one week that I decided to drop Bayo in my league. And so, of course, he decided to bring out some of his best performances against the Houston Astros of all teams. Well, actually, maybe it wasn't really that good of a, of a performance because he only managed seven whiffs on the night, but he did manage 14 called strikes on his sinker, which is his main pitch. That being said, though, looking at the, the stats overall on this one, it feels a bit suspect because he did allow 25 uh, balls in play. So it's a, that's a lot, even though he only, you know, he limited them to 12 base runners, but, you know, basically 25 balls in play. A lot of those were ground outs, which is kind of his... Uh, his bread and butter uh, a lot of them were forced out so obviously with guys on base you're able to deal with that get a get one or two double plays um it, it just worked out well for him he basically got the astros to ground out in the right places um he managed to get a lot out of a lot of pickles overall throughout the season because of his ground ball rate which is 57 percent uh so that being said ground ball rate is one of those things which isn't super sticky uh, especially when you have really elite performances out of pitchers that previously didn't have amazing ground ball rates. So it's hard to see this performance as sustainable year after year. But he also does have a really good sinker. So maybe he's just a really classic sinker baller, and this is what works for him for the rest of his career. Patrick Corbin of the Nationals went up against the Yankees, got the win, six innings, seven hits, three earned runs, three walks, and seven strikeouts. I did say it was kind of a rough day for pitchers. Honestly, I'm just kind of surprised as, as you are that we're talking about Patrick Corbin for the second week in a row, but he didn't manage a quality start and a win against the quad A team known as the Bronx Yankees. I don't think they deserve to represent New York, but you know, that is what it is. It's actually more impressive that despite allowing 10 base runners and two homers, he limited the damage to only three runs. Got 11 whiffs on that slider, which mirrors how he found success last time as well. That pitch is actually in the 79th percentile among all sliders in PLV and has a quality pitch percent in the 82nd percentile as well. Of course, one man cannot survive on a slider alone, so the other pitches aren't really that great. There's still no reason to really pick up Corbin right now, but if he does this again, we might need to start looking his way for some streams. And then finally, just a shout out to Merrill Merrill Kelly, who finished his game just as we were wrapping up this podcast. He went seven innings uh, against the Reds, overall giving up only one hit and 12 strikeouts, no walks. Uh, Merrill Kelly, man, he's having like a really solid season, 2.97 ERA uh, with a 1.13 whip. And probably what's more impressive is that he did this last week against the Twins, who strike out the most among all teams. And so I was like, eh, that feels like a fluke. Of course, then he goes up against the Reds, and granted, they're away from Cincinnati, so, you know, it's the it's still not a great offense. But he goes out and goes gets 12 strikeouts here. So 
maybe it's real. Miracle obviously is it's not available on 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 waivers. He's he's been you know a well rostered player this entire season, but this might speak to the fact that he's found out something and he's going to maybe be worth drafting a little bit higher next year. Yeah, I was going to mention Merrill Kelly because, yeah, pitchers were really bad on Thursday. It was a shorter slate, so not really anything to go off of. But Merrill Kelly was dominant, man. And now he's had like three really dominant starts in his last five outings where Mm -hmm. against the Twins, like you said, he went six innings, had nine strikeouts. Against Colorado in cores, he went six innings, 11 strikeouts. And then against the Reds at home for Arizona, seven innings, 12 Ks. So Merrill Kelly's been really great this season. He's definitely been underappreciated, and he needs to get credit because he's been one of the best pitchers consistently-wise for fantasy. And if you have him on your team, I'm sure you're extremely happy because he's been like your de facto ace, which is crazy to say, but a sub-3 ERA way more than a strikeout per inning at the moment. I mean, Merrill Kelly looks really, really good. Yeah, uh, I, I did misspoke. Minnesota, that was an August 4th game, so that was four starts ago. But yes. the point still stands. He had nine strikeouts in that one, and then he also shut out the Dodgers for six innings in his yep. start. So, yeah, like you said, he's been really, really good this season. It's impressive to watch, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how he does next next year. Completely agree. But now we have finished the weekly performance recap and we are going to take one final break. And when we come back, we will give you all some pitcher and hitter streamers for the week ahead. We'll be back after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Okay, we are back and it's time to wrap up this rather long episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball with some pitcher and hitter streamers. John, who are the pitcher streamers for this week? Yeah, we already mentioned strapping some uh, knocks to your feet to get this guy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Cole Reagans. Uh, on Fantasy Pros, I checked this. Uh, I guess I should check it again just to make sure because a lot of people with knocks on their feet might be uh, going after Reagans. Yeah. Now. Yep. But when I checked this last, and let me just make sure that's correct. Okay, it's a little bit better now. 35% rostered on Yahoo, 12% rostered on ESPN. That's number that number is only going to climb throughout the weekend. Um yeah, just an absolute gem against the on the A's on Wednesday. He has the easiest schedule as we discussed for the rest of the season. Specifically, right, he gets Pittsburgh next next week and the week after that he gets the White Sox. Yeah, just just go get Reagans. There's no reason not to. Um he might legitimately win your win your league, so if you can go grab him. Uh, that's all I'll say. Paul Blackburn, uh, he's up uh, as the next streamer pick, 19% on 
Yahoo, 10% on ESPN. We actually recommended Blackburn last week um, because he had a two-start week. Uh, he was going up against Kansas City, and then he goes up against the White Sox on Saturday, I believe. It might be Sunday now. Uh, the schedule's a little weird. Um, and so far, it worked out against Kansas City. I hope it works out against the White Sox. Um, this upcoming week, though, he gets the Angels, who we've already discussed basically – um, they are a quad A team without Shohei Otani. Like and Mike Trout. And Mike Trout, yeah. They have two guys on the roster. Well, technically one because Neto's injured. Uh, in Noah Shanuel, who's literally picked this season in the draft. So yep. um, if that tells you how bad that team will be without Shohei Otani, or technically not without Shohei Otani, with a hobbled Shohei Otani, um, yeah, uh, it's just going to be a really terrible offensive performance minus the one guy who can hit a bunch of homers so yeah uh i think that's a good start expect a strikeout in an inning and a quality start i don't think it's going to necessarily a win because it is oakland but uh it's something that i think is definitely worth taking the risk on and then finally edward cabrera of the marlins he's 25 percent rostered on yahoo eight percent on espn cabrera his problem is that he has not been particularly consistent this season a lot of ups a lot of downs um, but he still has one of the highest K rates in the league. He limits hard contact. Well, induces a lot of ground balls. So it's really just putting everything together. Uh, if you get us all those things in the same start, then it's a good start. He goes up against the Nationals, which ironically, they're one of the teams that strike out the least. So maybe it's not like the perfect matchup. But, you know, if you take a guy who has one of the best strikeout rates in the league and face him against one of the teams that strike out the least, I think that usually results in kind of just an average strikeout number, which I think is pretty solid. And this might be what it takes for Cabrera to jumpstart a hot streak again. Yeah, so this is easy for me for the one, two, three ratings. Cole Reagan's one by far. If anything, I put him one and then skip like 40 spots and then put Paul Blackburn and then Edward Cabrera back to back. But Cole Reagan's one easily. Go and grab him. Don't just stream him. Roster him. Use him for the rest of the season. Hopefully he wins you a title. Paul Blackburn, I feel so stupid because I told all of you that I was going to stream him, and I fully planned on it, but then I talked myself into streaming Alan Winans instead, Ooh, and boy, yeah. am I an idiot. So, yeah, just listen to your original advice. If you tell yourself, hey, I'm going to stream Paul Blackburn, don't switch to Alan Winans. Just stream Paul Blackburn. It would have went way better. So I go Paul Blackburn next. And then Edward Cabrera, as long as he keeps the walks in check, he should be rather good. The Nats have been doing pretty well. And they've kind of been on a heater, and they don't strike out that much. So it could go a little south, but Edward Cabrera has nasty stuff, and I think can keep them in check. So I like the stream recommendation of him, but I like him the least out of the three. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. Moving on to the bat recommendations, I have two names for you, and one already spoke about. Adam Duvall. He's on the Red Sox. He's 30% rostered on Yahoo!, like I mentioned before, he's available and he's capable of a huge power outburst. What more can you want from a bat down the stretch? Can he go 0 for 20 and be cold as ice? Absolutely. In which case, you drop him. But while he's hot, you have to pick him up and ride it out. Remember what he did to start the season? He was like the best player in baseball for two weeks. So he could go on a stretch like that for the end of the year and win you a league. So... Adam Duvall is a guy who could be a difference maker. Pick him up if you need power. And then also, I just thought it was really weird that Tommy Pham of the Diamondbacks is only 33% rostered on Yahoo. And I feel like that needs to be way higher. If Pham is out there, I'd rather him over Duvall if you need a total package with runs and steals involved. But if you just need power and RBI, I think Duvall is your go-to guy. But yeah, I think both of those guys are just a little under-rostered. Maybe it's just this part of the season where people aren't tuned in as much or... 
not picking anybody up. But yeah, I think Duvall and Fam are really good ads. Yeah, I I think I've said enough about Duvall. I just think if he's on a hot streak, definitely go for him. And yeah, Tommy Fam, like the the trade has kind of helped him out just a little bit because obviously he's more consistent playing time. Yep. Um. But yeah, the if if you need specifically those two categories, home runs and RBIs, um, go with Duvall. But if you need everything else, go with Fam. Yeah, Fam has been really good since joining the Diamondbacks. I mean. His last few games, he's been very, very solid. He's chipping in steals, chipping in homers, getting runs and RBIs. So if you need an all-around package, Tommy Pham is the go-to. But if you just want those big dingers, Adam Duvall is your man. But those are the streamers for next week. Pitchers and hitters, we covered it all. We talked a whole lot in this podcast. But I think it was one of the better episodes. I really enjoyed this episode. We had a good discussion. Talked a lot about Shohei Otani and the unfortunate injury to him and a lot of other things. But hopefully we kept all of you up to date with baseball and fantasy baseball. And we are going to wrap it here. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL or send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at the John K. That's T H E J O H N K E, and myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, one more time, leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week for another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.